Today's uh, scripture reading is Philippians 3, verses uh, 20 and 21. <clears throat> for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul explained the reason the Christian is to press or to strain toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said it wasn't as if he had already attained heaven or that he had already perfected because he was still living in this life. He said he pressed toward the the goal or the prize of God of which we have been called through the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, because our citizenship, he said, is in heaven for which we eagerly wait. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait to get there, to attain our position for which we are already citizens. It means something to have a citizenship, doesn't it? It's very important to have a citizenship. It's very important to belong somewhere. It's very important to be seen as belonging to a place. To have a position among a people. Let's take, for example, our nation. It's important to many people in the world to make their citizenship here, isn't it? Outsiders, I think, appreciate American citizenship far greater than some of our own countrymen. Look around, see what's happening. I think we see a great many of our own countrymen saying things about our nation that you won't see abroad or you won't hear abroad. According to the Pew Research Center, there are more than 40 million people living in the United States who were born in another nation. And I think that's an extremely low number. Of that more than 40 million... Nearly 25%, again, I think that's a very extremely low number, are in the nation illegally. But why take a chance on doing that? Why take a chance on coming to a nation illegally, staying here illegally, having to hide and look over your shoulder all the time? And if you listen to the news and you listen to certain people in our nation... And, and you hear what they're saying about our nation, about how sorry it is, how mean we are, how backwards we are, and how racist we are. Why would they take a chance on coming to a place like that? Because they, even they understand the importance of being a part of the United States, whether legally or illegally. Now, it's wrong for people to be in our nation illegally. But that's not the point I'm making. 
That's not the topic of our conversation. It is important to many people in the world to be in this country, to be a citizen of this great nation. On July the 2nd, 1776, the 13 American colonies legally separated themselves from Great Britain. Why? Because it was important to become our own nation, to have our own citizenship. However, it was not until July the 4th, 1776, Congress approved the Declaration of Independence, giving birth to a new nation of which we are citizens because it is important to be a citizen of this great nation. And the 4th of July, which is quickly approaching, this nation, this year is already over half over, It's a national holiday for our nation, isn't it? It's our birthday. It's a national holiday and has been celebrated since the original signers declared their independence and their solidarity, and we have followed in their footsteps, celebrating our independence and our solidarity because it's important. And each year, people all over the country prepare for and participate in all types of celebratory Uh, actions and activities recognizing that monumental day in history. Notice some of the things that happened and that do happen. Governmental offices close, don't they? Don't try to go mail a letter. Politicians make speeches. That's boring. Decorations are displayed. I love those. Patriotic songs are sung. I love that. And of course, our favorite fireworks are seen far and wide. But have you ever asked why? Why do we go to such lengths? Why do we as a nation do that to show our pride of this great nation in which we live? The answer is simply because it is important. It is important because citizenship is important. It is one of the greatest things, and we are so fortunate to have been born in a nation such as ours. And since it is so important, it deserves a little hard work on the part of its citizens to show its great, their great love for being here, and the people who stand up and they spout terrible, hateful words regarding our country about how terrible it is, ought to be ashamed of themselves for saying those things. After all, there are many nations in the world that do not enjoy the great freedoms that we enjoy. In fact, there are very few nations in the world that offer the great freedom to stand up and talk about the nation in which they live in the ways that people do it. But as great as that independence is, it nowhere comes close to being as great as the spiritual independence that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul celebrated the spiritual independence of the brethren in Corinth when he made this statement, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 9. He said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you're washed, 
but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. See, the key words there are, such were some of you because they had gained their independence from Satan. They were relieved of that great burden of sin through Christ Jesus. They had been under the bondage to sin and Satan, but they declared their independence by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had given up that, those lifestyles. They had walked away from Satan and sin, and they had turned themselves toward God and Christ Jesus through the sacrifice that He gave on the cross so they could be free and they could be independent from the tyranny of sin and they became citizens of heaven and they too longed for and awaited the day that they could enter the gate of pearl into the city and walk the street of gold where the river of life flowed along where each side grew the trees of life and they could be there for eternity surrounding the throne of God, singing praises each day and each night. That's better than any celebration we could have upon this earth. The title of the sermon this morning is Gaining Spiritual Independence. As we talk about the importance of spiritual citizenship being in heaven and the Christian's desire to gain that independence over sin, I want us to notice how we do that. How we go about doing that and maintaining that. And I want us to start with the idea that one must aspire to do that. That's our first point. One must aspire to do that. You have to aspire to do something before you can do something, right? In other words, there must be a goal in mind. In their aspiration to be independent physically, the American colonists had a goal in mind. They had something going on, didn't they? They were looking around, they didn't like what they were seeing, and they wanted something to change. They wanted a better life for themselves and their families in the new world. Do you see the connection there with the physical and the spiritual? That's the same idea when it comes to gaining independence from sin, right? You see, we have to look around, each person does, and he or she has to look at their lives and they have to say, you know... Whatever's happening right here isn't happening the way I need it to happen. Whatever's going on here isn't getting the job done, and it's not working out. It's not good for anyone involved. It's not good for me. It's not good for my family. It's not good for anyone who's around me. Something has got to change for the better. That's what the American colonists did, isn't it? They looked around and they said, this oppression, this tyranny, all of these things that are happening in our lives are not good for the individual, it's not good for the family, it's not good for our friends, it's not good for the nation, it's not good for anything. Can't we say the same thing about the tyranny of Satan and sin? Look at our nation. We've got our leaders standing up, talking about this great nation in which we live, talking about how oppressed we are because we stand up for marriage, because we stand up for the unborn, because we stand up for morals, because we stand up for living the way God wants us to, and they talk about how terrible that is, because we want to call a man a man and a woman a woman. That's not good for anyone. That's terrible. Because we want to send our children to the first grade, 
and we don't want to have them to sit through a sex education class at seven years old, or however old you are in the first grade, because we don't want that, that's not good for anyone, is it? Because when we send our children to school, we want them to learn to read, to write, and to be able to do math. We, we need to look around and say, this isn't good for anyone. See, that's the same application that we make to sin because that's sinful. And we need to say, look, something's got to change. Well, how do we change the world? We do that by changing ourselves first. And then we reach out to our families and our friends and our neighborhoods and our communities and our states and our nation, and then we, we look at the world. Because we have to have a goal in mind. If the goal we aspire to attain is a better life, we have to first ask of what does a better life consist? What is that? Is it saying a man is a woman and a woman is a man? Do we make good evil and evil good? Is that what a better life consists? The colonists understood a better life to mean independence from a government of tyranny. We need to understand that a better life consists of independence from a life of the tyranny of sin. That's where it begins, right? I think most people would agree happiness and peace are the things that bring about a better life. But they also think Things are the sources of a happy life, I think, in most cases. Jesus corrected that misconception when he stated, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Luke twelve fifteen. You know what the answer the government always throws out? Look around. Read the news. We had a, we had a, a virus problem going around. What was the government's answer? Tell everybody to stay home, quit working, and we'll give you a bunch of money. Is that the answer? Give give people, tell people quit working? You can't even go to a restaurant because they don't even have help. That's not the answer. Your life does not consist of the government putting you on welfare. That's not the answer, right? That's not the answer. Jesus told his disciples through him they would gain the peace they so dearly sought. Paul expressed in the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 7. It passes the world's understanding what peace is. We have to have God in our lives. We have to have Jesus in our lives. We have to understand what that means. It doesn't just mean we recognize there's a God and there's there's a Savior, we have to understand what He did and how we, we apply that to our lives. How do we make that a part of us, right? A Christian can have peace in his life no matter the circumstances because of what eternity holds for us. When we aspire for something, we must first have a goal, but then we must surely have some grit if we're going to attain that. Now, grit in this sense means firmness of mind or spirit, unyielding courage in the face of hardship or danger. Well, we've gone through that here recently, haven't we? Hardship and danger. Unyielding courage. Now, let's go back and look at our example of the colonists. They expressed a determination and a grit 
when they understood the goal at hand. They had to make a move and they had to do something. They had a goal and they had to have the willingness to carry it out. If they were going to be successful against a better equipped military, they would have to seize upon the intangibles, right? They would have to do some things that were very uncomfortable. Christians have to do the the same thing. Have you ever noticed that the enemies of God outnumber the allies of God? They always have. God's people have always been in the minority. How many people got on the ark? That is, eight souls were saved by water. Only 7,000 in Israel had not bowed down to Baal during the life of Elisha, 1 Kings 9, uh, 1918. In today's world, all we have to do is look around and see that the majority of folks do not support godly ways. That's why Jesus warned this, Matthew seven thirteen and 14. And we know this almost by heart, if not by heart, but we still need to be reminded. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, or restricted is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. It's not impossible to enter in that gate. It's just restricted. The path is narrow. Not impossible to walk on. It's just narrow. We walk on a lot of narrow paths in this life, right? We should never allow life circumstances to discourage us. We have to aspire to reach a goal. We have to have the grit to do it. We do that every day in other aspects of life, don't we? We have to do it when we want spiritual independence. To gain independence, we have to aspire to have it. Then we must accept independence when it presents itself. Someone says, well, everybody would do that. No, not everybody would do that. There comes a time in every battle when one must decide. Up to that point, the only thing that has been determined is there's a desire to accomplish a goal. Everybody wants to accomplish a goal, right? Everybody wants to do that. If you go out and you find someone who's hooked on drugs, for example, let's use that for a moment because that's one of the worst things that could happen to someone. I don't think for a second someone wakes up one morning and says, my goal today is to be hooked on drugs. But it happens. They get hooked on drugs, they lose everything. They lose their families, their homes, they lose their jobs, they lose all their money, and they're living on the streets. They're hungry, they're sick, they don't have anywhere to go, and they're laying on a, uh, in an alley somewhere. And you go up and you ask them, do you like where you're at? No, I don't. Do you want to do better? Yes. Would you like to be off drugs? Yes, I want to be off drugs. Is that your goal? That's absolutely my goal. And the first thing they do, because they're hooked on drugs, is try to find more drugs. So does having a goal, is that all you got to have? No, you have to, you have to aspire to have something. You have to have uh, a goal. You have to have grit to do it. But now you have to decide to accept that goal. Now with that comes a lot of hard work. See, if you're in a position where you're not willing to do that, now all you've got is a goal. Everybody's got a goal. Everybody. But we have to put forth the work to do it, right? Now, up to the point 
up to the very point that the colonists moved against the crown of England, all they had was a goal. All they had was hurt feelings. All they had was a little irritation. All they had was some anger because they were living under tyranny. Now, you know what they could have done? They could have gone back to the house. They could have continued to raise their crops. They could have continued to pay taxes without representation. They could have continued to be oppressed and said nothing, and our history would have been completely different. But that's not what they did. They were given the opportunity to accept independence. And they grabbed hold of it with both hands. They did not want to remain subjects to the crown of England. They chose to accomplish what they set out to do. That makes all the difference in the world, right? That makes all the difference in the world. Any person who considers obeying the gospel has to do the same thing. They have to do the exact same thing, right? Jesus taught that concept in the parable of counting the cost, Luke 14, 28 through 32. The individual has to sit down, he has to consider what the cost is going to be. What am I going to lose in comparison to what I'm going to gain, right? He used the example of building a tower. He used an example of going to war. You have to count the cost. And that's what we need to do. Are we willing to give up the pleasures of this life for the pleasures of eternity? Now Moses had to do that. Moses had to count the cost. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 27. He was willing to give up all the greatest nation on earth at that time had to offer in exchange for being a child of God. At that time, he was living under the patriarchal system for the first 80 years of his life. The second, or the last 40 years of his life, he lived under what we know as the law of Moses or the Jewish law, right? He had to count the cost. He said it was worth more to him not to be called the daughter of Pharaoh's, or the son of Pharaoh's daughter and to suffer with God's people, it was worth more to him to do that than all those riches that Egypt had to offer. You see, a vast majority of the American colonists quickly decided the cost of independence was never too high. Never. It didn't matter, right? Now, we may do without certain things in this life, but those things will pale in comparison to what heaven has to offer. Remember, where's our citizenship? What was it that Paul said? Our citizenship is in heaven, and we long and we wait on that day when we can step through that gate of pearl and be where our citizenship is. One decides to accept independence, then we must wholly dedicate ourselves to being successful in that fight. See, that's what the American colonists did. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to accept independence, I'm deciding to do that, and then I'm just going to fight a little bit. That's going to last about half a day in the battle. Everybody's going to be decimated and killed. Your family's going to be taken and thrown into prison. That's where they're going to die, and then it was all for nothing. That's not how we fight a war, is it? That's not how we're supposed to fight a war anyway. Once our young nation decided to reject the tyranny of England, there was no turning back. 
There was no going back to, be a lo- to being loyal subjects of the crown. They weren't going to have that. That's not what happens to traitors because that's how they saw us, right? They had to press forward no matter who lost life along the way. You remember the name Nathan Hale? Nathan Hale made this statement, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. He wanted to have several lives to give in the fight for freedom. I don't believe he would have changed anything if he had to do over again. See, really, that's the mindset that each Christian ought to, ought to have. I wish I had several lives to give in defense of the gospel. I think if we went back and we were able to talk to the apostles, to those first Christian martyr, first century Christian martyrs, I think they would have said the same things. Do you think Stephen would have said, boy, if I had to do over again, I wouldn't have preached that sermon? That's one of the greatest sermons that we can ever read in the New Testament. Acts chapter 7. I think he said, oh yeah, I'd go back and I'd preach that sermon again. Absolutely. I wish I could go back and preach that sermon again. Maybe if I preached it a little differently, I might get someone to listen to me. It's probably what he would be thinking. I don't know. But he preached it. He died for it. I don't think he's sorry at all. How many people do you think has been at the point of death and said, you know, I wish I'd spent less time with my family and more at work. I wish I'd been away from my family longer and more time on the job. I don't know of anybody that would have said that. I wish I'd spent more time making money that I can't take with me into eternity. Less time with my family and friends. I wish I'd spent less time in the work of the church and more in the work of Satan. More in Satan's army. I don't think we're ever going to hear anyone say that. But the time to dedicate our lives to gaining our independence from sin is today. It's today, not in eternity. I think we could ask the rich man about that. See, he tried to make a deal, didn't he? He tried to make a deal in eternity, but you can't make deals in eternity. No time to make a deal in eternity. Please send Lazarus for a drop of water. I just want one drop of water. That's all I want. I'm being tormented. Yeah, you are. That's what happens in hell. Well, send him back to, to my five brethren. I don't want them to come here. No, that's not how it works. They won't listen to Moses and the prophets. They won't listen to one come back from the dead. How do we know that's true? John chapter 11. Lazarus walked out of the grave, and what did the Pharisees want to do? Kill him again. Let's kill him again. A miracle never created faith. The time to dedicate our lives is now. Christ is the greatest example of dedication that the world has ever seen. He's in the garden. He's praying to the Father. He doesn't want to go to the cross. Who would? He doesn't want to go suffer in His physical body. He said, Oh, oh my Father, if it be possible... He's pleading. The writer of Hebrews said, with great tears and crying. Can you imagine? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou. Matthew 26, 39. Great tears and crying, please. Take this away from me. But he went because he was a man. He had courage. He had a goal. He accepted it. He had the grit to go. He was dedicated. 
He went. We're told He endured the cross, despising the shame. He went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. You know what waited Him in Jerusalem? The cross, death, dying, torture. That was His ultimate destination. He went there so we could have independence. But to do that, we have to aspire, we have to accept. But then, here's the thing. Do we want that to be wasted? We have to abide. We have to abide in that independence. And how do we do that? We have to watch. We have to watch. Right? We have to continually watch over that independence. Have you ever heard of the War of 1812? Have you ever watched those shows where they get out onto the street and they walk up and down and they ask people, your average American, about historical questions? And, and it seems, I don't know how they find these people, but they never have the right answer. And they'll ask someone, when was the War of 1812? And they can't ever answer that question. Well, the War of 1812 is also known as the Second War of Independence because, like everyone else, Great Britain didn't like losing. They wanted to go back and they wanted to get their property back in their minds. So they come back and they fight that war over again, 1812. Well, just because the nation had gained its independence several years earlier didn't mean they didn't have to watch over it. They had to keep watching. They had to keep fighting because here came the enemy again. And because independence is so precious, they had to make sure they didn't lose it. And so they had to fight that again. And that's what Christians have to do. Christians can never sit back and they can never just say, okay, I've got it. It can never go away. I can never lose it. Because the next thing you know, it's gone. And if the United States had not been paying attention we would not be the United States today. Peter said that Satan was like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. So we must always be watchful. We have to pay attention. Christ admonished, Matthew 25, 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. He's coming back. But he didn't tell us when, so we have to be watchful. What a shame it would be to lose one's spiritual independence after having fought so hard for it. But Christians live as soldiers of the cross, right? And that means we don't just watch. We have to work. We have to work for it. Listen again to the words of Peter because we have to maintain. Maintain means we have to do something besides just watching. Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You see, just like the colonists, we have to resist the tyranny, we have to resist, and we have to resist Satan. Or we'll lose our independence. And we fought hard for it. Christ fought hard for it. So that we could have it. We have to work all the way to heaven. Now, we're not working our way into heaven, but we have to work according to what God's asked us to do. Paul said we were to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding 
in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It takes work, it takes hard work and dedication to maintain one's independence from sin. You know, there are certain things we must do if we're going to gain our independence from sin. We must aspire for eternal life. We must accept the method Christ gave to gain it. And then we must abide in His teachings. That's the bottom line. That's not too hard, is it? We have to believe on Him, repent of past sins, confess His name, that He is the Son of God, be immersed in water, rise up out of that grave of water to walk in newness of life and be faithful to Him. Sometimes we step out of the light. We have to repent of those sins, confess them to God, ask Him to forgive us. And sometimes that has to be done publicly. If not, it has to be done privately. Always when we sin as a Christian, we have to ask God to forgive us. But we have to always maintain our independence from sin. We're not ever independent from God. We're always serving Him. But we have to be independent from sin. We can only do that through Christ Jesus. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, do that as we stand and as we sing.